Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LayeredSuperfood.com and add nourishing, plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code Dr. D at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. This restaurant is the hottest ticket in town. An incredible 12-course meal made from fresh, locally sourced ingredients. And now for your ninth and final course. Uh, did they forget the last three? When you don't get what you pay for, you can feel a little forgotten. A recent lab study found most top CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels claim. Upgrade your CBD to 100% with Nextevo Naturals. Go to nextevo.com upgrade 20. Ready for the interview and if you get a cue live on a laptop watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show let them know we got a point of view Hey yo let's have a combo say what you feel be real that's the motto Real talk pronto Dr. D PhD hit the intro Hold up wait gotta be social network global a home for the locals Gotta be social network global a home for the locals all right, Martin, thank you for being with me today to discuss, I think, a really interesting topic. Hey, Darian, thanks for having me on. And, you know, interesting is one of several <laughs> hundred adjectives you could throw at this subject. <laughs> well, let's dive into it. I think it's good to just kick off into it. So um, I was telling you off, you know, before we started recording that, um, you know, I, I have a very deep interest in kind of UFOlogy and UFOs and all that stuff. And I think America has a big interest in it and people in general. Yeah, so, well, I wouldn't limit it to uh, to America. I think it's yeah. a global, it's of global interest to people. I mean, there are sightings around the world constantly. Uh, historically, if you look at the record, you know, everywhere from South Africa to mm-hmm. England, Scotland, Japan, China, Russia, it's a widespread uh, phenomenon, which is a word I increasingly <laughs> don't like to use because it's now become kind of the placeholder word mm-hmm. for uh, UFOs, UAP, yeah. and I think... Uh, until we get a definitive um, explanation of what these things are, where they're from, how they're controlled, who controls them. Uh, to call it a phenomena, I think just kind of almost marginalizes it in a new mm. way. What would you say, like, is the, the narrative, you know, especially in, in military spaces, it seems like this was something that you didn't talk about. And it was considered kind of a taboo thing to discuss. But more and more, at least what I've seen is that there's been more and more intelligence about this and a more acceptance of discussing it in those areas and in the public knowledge about it. Well, again, historically, uh, military's gone on record many times about this. They've had 
several projects going back to the to the 40s and late 40s and 50s and 60s with Project Grudge, Project Sign, probably the most famous one is Blue Book, of course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of dancing around what these are and what they aren't. But uh, in 19, and I'm going to read my notes here so I get this right, Pentagon uh, General Nathan Twining came out in 1947 and said the these things are not of this world uh this is from a document from that was un, unearthed in one of several thousand foia requests and he stated that the phenomena reported as something real and not visionary or fictitious mm. so uh you know there's quite an extensive record on military uh, discussing this i don't know if you or your uh, audience members tuned in today but there was a hearing in washington in the senate um if i don't have the exact name of the committee but it, it was uh uh an interview with uh the new appointee for the arrow Mm -hmm. office which is now investigating these anomalies and it was very boring <laughs> <laughs> a lot of housekeeping a lot yeah. of you know i guess bureaucratic speak yeah about how they're gonna track these things analyze them use the science <laughs> it just you know i've been following this since i was a kid yeah uh, back in Western North Dakota, who had a sighting with high school buddies one night. And I've been interested in it ever since. I wrote a book about it, obviously, the Space Pen Club. Mm -hmm. uh, for someone who's been watching this from the sidelines for so long, I, I you know, at, at some point, I just think they're never the, the people in charge of this are never going to come clean on it. And the more time I spend or waste watching, <laughs> you know, Senator House um, panel discussions on the subject, I just, you know, I losing my patience. Yeah. I mean, what do you, you say you don't think they'll ever come clean about it, which does that mean you think that they have more knowledge than they're letting the public know? That's much deeper than what we yeah, I mean, look, these things have been uh, classified above top top secret mm -hmm. for you know decades, especially uh, after the alleged uh, Roswell crash in '47. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been all sorts of secrecy wrapped up in it. The Robertson panel, which I think was convened in '52. Um, was formed to basically address how are we going to deal with this from a public perspective mm. they were getting all these ufo reports from around the country um so they had to do something and the strategy that they came up with and it's been very effective and it's been in place for uh, you know better part of uh six or seven decades is to uh deny that it's 
a real issue and two to ridicule those who report and talk about the subject and that's been uh supremely effective and uh we're just beginning to see this taken seriously ever since the new york times published the front page yes. story on the secret pentagon program from i believe 2007 to 2010 that there was a group inside the pentagon right. headed by lou elizondo who has since become kind of a poster boy for disclosure if you will uh that Times reporting really bust this out uh, from the, uh, you know, the wink and the nod crowd. Yeah. Uh, they made it a legitimate topic. There was no mention of conspiracy theory right, right. or conspiracy in the reporting about this Pentagon group, and uh, which some say still exists, only under a different name now, uh, which wouldn't surprise anybody who's been paying attention to this. Um, so now, you know, you're seeing it on CNN, you know, we had yeah. those pilot testimonials, Ryan Graves on 60 Minutes. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as commonplace as the daily ball scores now. <laughs> yeah. Commander David Fravor, right. And people like that discussing yeah. it for that. And it was a great, I think it was on Hulu. I watched a whole series with, uh, the author of the New York Times, article ryan graves and a, a truckload of people and yeah. they did not present it in a conspiratorial way it was very much presented in i think a palatable way that it was just in a way that it hadn't been presented before um from a lot of other people because if you watch a lot of specials and stuff it's like uh this is kind of weird <laughs> you know the way they're presenting it yeah, you get the uh, funky, eerie music. Right. The, you know, the sensational graphics around. I mean, that's all fine and good for show business. Sure. But, I mean, I think people are more sophisticated these days, and they they want to be dealt with on a more sophisticated level and less with the sort of whiz-bang noise-making yeah. that goes on. Whenever this subject is, I mean, there's so many shows about UFOs that have yes. been through the years. Now there's, I think, even more, some very good work being done by people like James Fox and mm -hmm. uh, uh, the guy who uh, did the documentary last year on the the uh, sightings, close encounters of the fourth kind event among school children in yeah. Zimbabwe. Uh, the guy's name escapes me at the moment. Dr. Stephen Greer. Yeah. I have a long history with, which we can get to in a second. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's made three or four crowdfunded films. Excellent. Uh, I've watched them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That talks about the secrecy. It talks about close encounters of the fifth kind. Talks about the technology and uh, why this has been such a uh, above top secret subject. So yeah. there's a lot out there. I think it's overwhelming. It's kind of a let the buyer beware, you know, like <laughs> choose what UFO documentary you're going to watch and, and try to use some discernment and get your BS detector out. That's right. <laughs> 
Well, tell yeah, you mentioned about Stephen Greer. I'm curious about your association with him and why he's such a um, uh, you know, a figure in this community and and his work and how uh, how that speaks to you. Yeah. Well, a good part of my probably a third of my book, the Space Pink Club, is based on my adventures with Dr. Greer. I uh, was introduced to him in the early 90s and actually came at this whole topic and Dr. Greer himself as a uh, freelance journalist. And I could not get that story told. Uh, I think I wrote a, uh, you know, like a 10 page, a um, couple 3000 word profile of Greer and the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence and his whole Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind initiative, which is basically human-initiated contact with the visitors. He had a whole set of con contact protocols yeah. uh, that he had developed, uh, probably based on his own close encounter he had as a young guy hiking in the mountains around Asheville in the Blue Mountains. Uh, so I couldn't get the story placed anywhere. You know, today I could publish it in probably 20 different internet sites. And, yeah. But uh, back then, this this was not a this was not a topic of general conversation. I mean, it's it was way out in the margins. So I was intrigued by Greer's thinking on topic. I still am, even though I haven't had much contact with them in 20 some years, but uh, I became his communications guy, his public relations guy. And uh, we had some interesting um, experiences in Mexico and I was involved in publicizing and getting people to the first disclosure event he held in Washington, DC in April of uh, 1997. So going way back in the chapters nine and 10, uh, recall that period and what happened in Mexico and in Washington pretty uh, in pretty much pretty good detail. Unfortunately, we had a news crew from CBS's show 48 Hours who was doing a special on um, the UFO issue. And they shadowed us to uh, Mexico to the volcano zone which is about uh, roughly 50 miles from Mexico City. And there's a huge active volcano there and then a silent dormant one. Um, the uh, active volcano makes the news quite regularly because it tends to fire off <laughs> plumes. And, it, you know, uh, there's been a ton of UFO sightings around the volcano some of the mm. footage is very dramatic i mean i would call call it incredible wow. um, i have a blog about uh, about that volcano on on the book's website the spacepenclub.com the volcano is called mount popo as the locals call it it's got a longer aztec name uh popocatapetl which i'm sure is not the exact pronunciation but it's the best I can do as a gringo from uh, Minnesota. <laughs> so a lot of interesting stuff with uh, with Greer in the book. Uh, I have to say, uh, 
you're exactly right. He is he is a uh, major figure in this field. He's also yeah. a a uh, polarizing figure. He, right. he he was controversial and and uh, something of a pariah even when I met him and he was just starting his organization um, in the early '90s. And now he's he's even more so that he's become internationally renowned for his research initiative and also for his uh outspoken comments on on the subject he's also done a hell of a lot of uh work in bringing uh uncovering uh how the secrecy works yeah. why why it's in place and produced a ton of witnesses he did a 2001 disclosure in washington which i was not involved in but i was i was very familiar with a lot of the players that he brought to the table during that event. And he's going to do a similar one in June of this year okay. here in Washington, which I'm thinking about going to. All right. Uh, what are the, um, to think about this, what are the implications of humans knowing more about this phenomenon, I would say, or these anomalies? What's, how is this going to affect us by knowing more, you think? Well, that's a really good question. I think the, the first answer is uh, it's going to change the way we think about energy, propulsion systems, fossil fuel use. If, mm. you know, if you've got extraterrestrial vehicles, either... Um, operated by real occupants or artificial mm -hmm. intelligently designed occupants from anywhere in interstellar space. Uh, that's a huge game changer on Earth, and it's probably the reason why this has been so secret for so mm -hmm. long. It would, it would um, upset the uh, oil economy that uh, the western world thrives on and goes to war over and um you know petroleum underlies i don't know how many products that we use right. every day right out even thinking so you know energy consumption and use and extraction all that stuff is off the table if we find a way to utilize the technology that obviously being deployed in these unidentified ufo objects or phenomena um secondly and this is probably more of a personal mm -hmm. heartfelt belief I, I i've always thought it would take something like this to become that would become wider public knowledge that if we found out we're not alone in the universe <laughs> I always think it's kind of a boring, stupid cliche. I mean, we're, it's almost 77 billion people on Earth right now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> how can we be alone in the universe? <laughs> that many of us running around. That's an interesting take on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I always, I, I've always said that's really uh, totally so, uh, yeah. you know, vainglorious, I guess. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always thought if, if something like this were to become a known fact that it would change the way we think and maybe the way we govern and maybe the way we relate to other nation states. Mm. 
Um, it might cause us to get rid of our nuclear weapons, mm. take better care of our environment, which is increasingly becoming a you know earth is becoming a increasingly overheated planet right the, the un just two years ago issued a code red about uh, mm -hmm. the danger the earth is in and basically the chief villain in that is fossil fuels yeah it's very interesting i and i'm sure you know it just there's even deeper levels of implications i'm sure many people have different opinions and that as well. But um, you brought up something I thought was very interesting. And I've thought of this, which is you said either essentially like biological beings or artificial intelligence. And I don't think people think about it en enough that way. They always think of this, you know, little green man or some biological being. But it's very possible covering that vast amount of distance. You would think you're covering an ocean of stars that it may have to be an AI-based being to potentially survive the trip, you know, unless there was, you know, an easy, unless there was an, you know, wormhole or something that you got to point A, B quickly. But if it was a longer journey, uh, biology may not be the answer on that. Yeah, and I think it's probably the 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 travel equation is probably probably more wormhole based than yeah or even more complex than that maybe right they've just figured out how to go from a in deep interstellar space to yeah. b in real time with however they do it <laughs> yeah however I mean, they do the, it yeah <laughs> some of the analysis i've read by greer and other folks is that um you know these crafts and everything can actually move through time they hmm. they short circuit the time space continuum wow. with without a lot of problems and that's why they uh, they get here fast and they take off just as quickly yeah and there's no um yeah you see about the sightings and the lack of um identification markers of like a jet or anything like that there's no sound you know, right. all these things are just like seem impossible to do uh, to for it to be just be some something in the atmosphere that we could explain away for that. But I'm curious um, what your take is on uh, Bob Lazar. I've seen one of his deals, too, <laughs> and his take about working at Area 51 is that story. I mean, his story has been consistent for a long time. Is that something you find credible or not credible or what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. You know, I don't know about Bob Lazar. Yeah. I, I read a lot about him back in the day. I actually had an opportunity to meet him personally. Mm -hmm. I was in Los Angeles one time, and I uh, I blew it. I didn't go to the meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, a long story, but um, I don't know. I know a lot of people who's thinking and and intellect i i uh, respect and they think he's he's the real deal but mm. i also that said on the other hand people like stanton friedman who was kind of the lone prophet in the in the wilderness if you will who talked about the cosmic watergate for years when nobody yeah. would listen and 
Stanton was out there and Stanton looked into the Lazar story and, you know, like other folks who have couldn't, couldn't find credentials that stacked up, couldn't find yeah. a paper trail leading back to his studies or even his employment at area 51. Not that that would be public record, but um, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I'm leaning yeah. toward probably classic disinformation agent mm. <laughs> actor uh, yeah like rich doty who is now in the private sector and actually been working with career apparently okay but after years of spewing misinformation and all, only being too happy to do so <laughs> i mean that was his job it was he was right the guy in the air force down in uh around Kirkland, um, just putting out all kinds of nonsense about this. Yeah. What's the best case scenario for you at this point in terms of be what's being revealed or what could be revealed or what, what would make you feel satisfied, even more satisfied than the progress that's currently happening? Well, that's a good question, too. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And, you know, as we touched on earlier, there's a lot of evidence that points to this as being extraterrestrial mm -hmm. in origin. Um, there's a lot of uh, evidence to pointing to it being something interdimensional. Right. The two are mutually exclusive. There might be all kinds of things out there that we don't understand, but I think probably the ET thing is 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 a no brainer, is open shut. But uh, you know, Greer's collected over two hundred witnesses from the military, the intel agencies, the private sector. You know, places like Northrop Grumman and. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Skunk Works and other other uh, big private companies, corporate companies that do the government's bidding, research and development, etc. Um, I think we're not going to have a true disclosure until what I call the boys upstairs mm. <laughs> until they they come forward and go, "Yes, we're here." Yeah. Watching you guys for a long time. <laughs> wow, what a mess. <laughs> what a mess. I imagine that too. What a mess. And it makes me also wonder, I was literally thinking this, like, what is your best explanation for why it's seemed to be essentially an observation mission so far? I mean, tons of sightings, but not any obvious contact that all people could observe. Yeah. Uh that's a good point. Uh, I forget who it is in the UFO community that likes to talk about how, you know, these, the few, the well-documented contact cases that seem to stand up with evidence and retroactive research. And uh, over time, um, those, those cases are often set out in the boondocks, you know, there's yeah. <laughs> happened to two guys fishing in Pascaluga, is it Mississippi? 
or Travis Walton in yeah. the forests of Arizona or Betty and Barney Hill up in New Hampshire alone right. on a highway road late at night. Uh, the contact cases like that are, I think, are pretty, pretty sturdy. And, you know, they're not interacting with, you know, yeah. congressional types. Um, and it might be for a reason, might be strategically. I mean, I think we have been surveilled for a long time. Yeah. Once they found out we were here and then once they discovered in the 40s that we had nuclear weapon cap capabilities, capabilities now which we can take into space. Yeah. It might be a threat to them too, or to the space space environment. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I I would think surveillance would be one of the primary objectives of any sort of visitor presence in in our neck of the uh, interstellar neighborhood, such as <laughs> as it is. Right. I mean, there's cases too, or observations of. Um, unidentified objects around nuclear uh, facilities and strange yep. things happening. Um, and it makes me think that there's, there's certainly maybe an agenda of like, Hey, this is not cool. Like, you know, like should not be happening guys, you know? Yeah. The nu nuclear cases are very well researched. Right. Um, several books, one book by Robert Hastings you might want to have your audience pick yeah. up uh didn't come out too long ago i devote an entire chapter i think chapter four in my book uh looks at the minot north dakota mm. incursion of a large object that not only uh uh caused a panic on the ground but the object was apparently able to move 20 ton concrete block off a missile silo <laughs> without a lot of effort <laughs> and scramble the launch codes now right. similar things happen at maelstrom the right. minot thing was in 68 Mel maelstrom i think was right around the same period i think in maelstrom there were two occasions but i mean this is the kind of stuff the congressional folks should be looking at they should take a jump from all this housekeeping stuff like oh we have to have our sensors in place we have to have a, <laughs> yeah. we have to look at all the data and uh, find uh coordinating matches i mean it's just come on we, yeah we're beyond that let's get beyond that uh otherwise it just looks like a dog and pony show i yeah. mean hearing today was a complete waste of my time anyone mm. else that watched it um I mean, the UFO crowds you know, pull all their hair out before <laughs> there's any sort of disclosure or any real public acknowledgement that this this is happening. Um, but the nuclear incursion cases, you know, Bob Salas is another guy. I think yeah. he was stationed at Malmstrom. Bob has been very vocal on this. I think he's got, has he written a book? I can't remember. But uh, he's been part of several witness events in Washington and uh, has written some opinion pieces here and there and just saying, you know, this, <laughs> this has been going on for a long time. Yeah.
why don't you look here instead of over here and all the this bureaucratic framing of of what we should be doing with the phenomenon, the study of the phenomenon. You also think that some of this acceleration is due to um, increased technological advancement of things like cell phones, smartphones, people capturing things much easier than they used to be able to catch capture um, footage of these things and just people's like like global knowledge increasing because people are connected to it. it's like hard to deny things when so many people are seeing stuff and it's more rapid potentially yeah but there's a lot of stuff that goes on it's misidentified misidentified yeah, i mean that's i almost like the old-fashioned uh witness testimony mm. and photographs and early videos of, of of these things as opposed to today because you know to Technology has advanced at a really uh, rapidly wicked rate, mm -hmm. and, you know, for all all of the advantages it brings to capture, you know, more of the real thing in the skies overhead. There's also the same technology at our disposal to create all kinds of fakes and right. I mean, I don't even look at videos anymore on on the internet about when people post stuff yeah. i'll look at stuff out of mexico around okay. the volcano because i've been there uh the whole there's a whole chapter on our uh CSET, dr greer's organization going down there with this 48 hours crew to uh try to make contact close encounter of the fifth kind uh i look at those videos because i think they're number one they're unaltered and number two, mm -hmm. I know for a fact there's activity there as I've been there, talked to local people who live there, and some of whom had really good video footage themselves that they'd shot in the 90s. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a good so point. We, we have all this technology <laughs> at our fingertips, but we also have all this technology at our fingertips to, you know, just... right make junk <laughs> yeah i mean and that gets into like deep fakes i mean whether it's with humans or objects things will become indistinguishable from reality in many ways so how can you trust if it's an actual sighting put up well, on a video you know and to your point now we have uh these off-the-shelf ai applications right. that are seemingly every effing where everywhere i mean yeah. just in the last few months it seems like you can't escape uh an application uh what's it what's it called i forget the acronym uh but you know people are using it to create this fake photography yeah dazzling designs i mean on my own personal facebook image i have <laughs> used the uh some sort of space rainbow thing mm -hmm. created by AI because it's so beautiful. <laughs> I threw it up there. I needed to change my uh, my profile picture or whatever it's called. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is so widespread now and is going to become even more widespread. Yeah. And it's going to become an even greater problem to discern, you know, what's real and what's been created artificially for whatever reason 
for yeah. whatever strategy. So yeah, let the buyer beware. So it could be harder actually to believe in what's out there on some level, if it's viewed through these lenses, you know, whether it's a video post, Hey, I saw something, you know, how do you know if it's verified that it's actually what was shot or if it was just created for that? Yeah. yeah I don't know. I mean, it's a rabbit hole that never, yeah. never ends. And, unless you have time and resources to go do your own private investigation. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know anyone personally yeah. that does. I mean, in, in that case, I would trust the, the different MUFON chapters around mm. the country, which, yeah. which does a pretty good job of investigating sightings and saying this was a real sighting versus this was just complete non-sighting. Yeah misidentity again um but uh yeah i don't know i mean I, do i sound frustrated a little <laughs> yeah just a little bit martin just i you know i think anybody who cares deeply about this for a variety of reasons it's 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 like come on like let us discern what this means if if this is what it is let people make up their minds about what that means personally to them for that and I, I understand what you're saying, like with the whole, the economy aspect of it, the oil, petroleum, but I mean, there has to be more than just that. And there's a, that's why I say it's, it's a deeper thing within people about the search for extraterrestrial life. And there's something deeper in humans that is activated when you discuss that, that I think people really well, find great. very compelling. Yeah. It creates a whole new world of possibility. Yes. And, you know, my book is called sort of enigmatically The Space Pen Club. And I'll just give you the short readout on that. The space, there is a real Space Pen Club that was started by some of my college buddies at the St. John's University here in Minnesota, mm -hmm. out in the woods. Uh, the Fisher Space Pen Company is based in Nevada. They've been making these pens that write in space. The first pen to write in space. Astronauts have used them through the years. They manufacture different models of the space pen every year. There's a uh, actual space pen model on the cover of my book. Um, let's see if I can show you right here. Oh, nice. That's a space pen. And some people huh. go, no, that's a UFO. <laughs> I can see why they say saucer. that. No, yeah. that's a space pen. No, that's a that's a flying saucer. It yeah. could be both. Yeah. Anyway, the space pen. Um, oh, here I have one right in front of me too. Nice. Look at the that. One we use we use for the cover. Uh, they're great pens, <laughs> but it was started kind of as a joke among us, and then it became a thing became this iconic representation of possibilities. You know, if a pen that can write in outer space and underwater and across greasy surfaces, <laughs> what else could it do? I mean, what what are what are the possibilities? Yeah. And that's how I think of the whole UFO issue. What are the possibilities if we had an actual disclosure process and we found out that inter interstellar space was capable of achieving without the sort of propulsion systems, primitive propulsion systems yeah. we use today. 
no thank you elon musk <laughs> right you know what what are the potentials what are the possibilities of that and and i've heard chris mellon who used to be inside the defense mm -hmm. department under a couple of different presidents republican and democrat along with lou elizondo i mean these are the two guys who become kind of the public face of disclosure uh, since they are they are both from the the establishment that guards these secrets and now they're trying they're pushing for disclosure chris mellon has said basically the same thing that uh i think it would change the way we think and behave toward yeah. each other although i have to admit <laughs> more frustration spoiler here when the Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine last year, I went, ah, we're never going to get this right. Right. Uh, we're never going to get it right. Yeah. So maybe, uh, you know, that's Pollyannish thinking uh, that it would change things. But I I think if it doesn't, <laughs> we might be deeper into the doo-doo than, than we care to admit. Right. Most definitely. Gosh, I have to tell you, it's refreshing to have these type of conversations um, in a very intelligent way, <laughs> actually. And well, thanks, Darian. I appreciate the good line of questioning. And thank you. Uh, you know, you and I are both probably not ever going to walk away from this completely. No, no. <laughs> and but you know, I mean, it's like at least I feel like there's some level of progress, some level that is not some weird um documentary like you said with crazy graphics and strange people it feels like it is becoming a little more legitimate and focused on like like in the documentary i saw it was all about like well we should treat this as a security threat as uh, you know airspace yeah, security. why are we be. not looking at it this way at least on this level to you know they're not saying let's look at it as aliens let's look at it as a security threat at least if nothing else like we need to know what this is Actually, well, the military knows it's a security threat, yeah, but they also know it's a security threat that um, they can't do anything about it. That's right. I mean, the capabilities are way beyond what we what we have on the ground here. Yeah. And I know, you know, in the same breath, Steve Greer uh, and others uh, have said, you know, the these visitors show no net hostile intention on their part um so i think that needs to you know we need to hear from that choir yeah off and on just to keep an open mind and a, and a balanced perspective most definitely well please tell everyone again about um space pen club book how they can connect with you the whole deal well, you can buy the book through Amazon. That's the easiest way. There's a there's a real simple link at the at the book's website, thespacepenclub.com. Uh, there's some great reviews of the book, including one from Dan Aykroyd, who's been in the into the subject yeah. probably longer than you and I put together. That's right. <laughs> and uh, there's also an ongoing blog <clears throat> on that site. I try to write at least once a month and sometimes twice. I'll probably blog about the uh, hearing today, although I was so bored through the whole 
<laughs> may not do anything at all. But right. uh, and then I have a Facebook, small Facebook group page called the Space Pen Club. You can join that. A lot of people post things they're interested in. We have some good discussions there. Occasionally, I'll post something on Instagram. So watch for stuff there and uh, keep your eyes on the skies. Keep your eyes on the skies. Thank you, Martin Keller. I appreciate hey, your time. Hey, thanks, Appreciate it a lot. Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO, Showtime. Do you feel like your streaming subscriptions are out of control? Why not start the new year off right and cancel the ones you're not using? Enter the Rocket Money app. Rocket Money organizes your subscriptions by due date and notifies you when something is coming up. From there, decide whether to keep it or cancel it with just a tap. To find out more about Rocket Money, go to rocketmoney.com offer or download the Rocket Money app from the Apple app or Google Play stores. Rocket Money, the finance app that works for you.